In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm David Ross, and welcome to episode two of The Sun's new podcast, Israel's War on Terror. This is a new program launched in the wake of Hamas's terror massacre in southern Israel on October the 7th. We'll aim to give you the latest on what's happening in the crisis, the context around it, as well as some in-depth analysis with experts and interviews with people directly affected. Well, arguably the biggest story relating to the conflict this week was the explosion at the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza. In the immediate aftermath, some news organizations and social media commentators pointed the finger at Israel. Israel later insisted the cause was a misfired rocket launched from Gaza by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a terror group affiliated with Hamas. Earlier, I spoke to military expert, former commander of British forces in Afghanistan, Colonel Richard Kemp, to ask him who he thought was to blame. According to the IDF, the attack on the hospital was not by one of their weapons, despite earlier claims by people around the world that it was. Their evidence that they have produced, some of which, uh, shows that it was an Islamic Jihad terrorist rocket which fell short and landed on the hospital. The initial reactions were condemning Israel, automatically assuming Israel did it, without any evidence at all from anyone. Now the IDF have produced the evidence, which I, which as far as I can see, is pretty compelling. Obviously, there is evidence and intelligence they've got that they haven't produced that they are going to share with their allies. In my experience, the IDF does not deny doing something of this sort if they do do it. There have been incidents in the past where they've accidentally caused large numbers of civilian casualties, and in each case when that's happened, they have admitted and explained why it happened. So. I don't think, um, there's, in, my, in my opinion, there's no doubt that the IDF did not carry out this attack. And of course, it plays right into Hamas and Islamic Jihad's hands by media, politicians, commentators, jumping straight to the conclusion and brave blaming Israel, because that's what Hamas wants. Hamas wants Israel to be condemned for this. And it, as we've seen, it's already stirred up enormous amount of public sentiment around the world, which is potentially dangerous as well. You know, I think media organizations that did jump straight to the conclusion and commentated would be better advised in future to be a bit more considered about what they say and to perhaps wait until facts do begin to emerge. How realistic is it even that you can establish all of the facts in a situation like this just moments after an explosion occurs? It's normally pretty difficult to establish the facts straight away. Uh, and those people who 
the credible commentators and the credible media and the responsible media who uh, have come straight to that conclusion that it was the idea should know that. I mean, it's their job. It's their job to know that. Uh, it's one reason why the idea took a bit of time. I think it was probably two hours, something like that, before the idea said that it wasn't them that did it. Okay, there's a huge public interest in something like this, which is apparently a mass casualty event, although I wouldn't, myself, I wouldn't even trust the casualty figures produced by the Hamas medical, uh, the Gaza medical authorities, which are controlled by Hamas. And, and the figures they produce very often are false. They're very often exaggerated. They very often attribute to the IDF casualties that have been caused by their own people. So I think we, we ought to, if we're, if we're being responsible, we ought to address this in a much more sober fashion, because the last thing I'm sure that any media organization or, or any responsible commentator wants to do is to further inflame an already very, very dangerous conflict. Just how irresponsible is it for media and commentators to immediately jump to a conclusion in such a situation? I think it's deeply irresponsible of anybody to jump straight to a conclusion and then attribute the blame without knowing for sure, or as surely as they can know. Perhaps no one will ever know for sure exactly what happens in these conflict situations. But anyone who is interested in the truth needs to be much more considered about these things. Hamas wants Israel to be condemned. Whatever happened, whether Israel did something, whether Israel didn't do it, they want Israel condemned. And so those media organizations and commentators who, who leak straight into the conviction that it was Israel responsible for this are playing straight into Hamas's hands. And they're, making, they're actually making the conflict worse than it already is. Let's move now to the actual war itself and where we are. How surprised are you that Israel haven't really begun a meaningful ground operation? I'm not surprised that Israel's ground operations haven't begun. It was just over a week ago when the massacre occurred on borders around Gaza and Israeli territory and over well over a thousand, fourteen hundred, something like that, Israelis were were murdered, raped, kidnapped, burnt alive in some cases. It was over a week ago and it takes time to, to wind up a military machine to the extent that it can go in with great effect. Already, right from the early stages, the IDF were attacking from the air very effectively. And they've already, as far as I understand, killed a significant number of Hamas leaders and fighters. But it takes time to put everything in place for what's going to be a very, very challenging ground offensive. And then there are other factors to be considered. For example, what's happening in the north? on the northern border. The Israelis want to be sure, or as sure as they can be, about the likely expansion of the, of the conflict up into the north. And we've already seen intensive fire from uh, Hezbollah, more, more intensive attacks from Hezbollah than we've seen since the Second Lebanon War. Clearly, the Israelis need to know what, as much as they can what they're facing before they uh, launch the ground offensive and get completely locked into that. And the, and the other factors to be considered as well are the weather, for example. And we've seen poor weather in Israel. We've seen about three days' worth of rain. Not heavy rain, but rain that's sufficient to worsen or detract from, shall we say, the effectiveness of, of aerial surveillance and airstrikes, which, of course, the ground troops depend very heavily on. Now, I think it was known a couple of days ago that Biden was going to be coming to Israel. And I, I would imagine that 
for political reasons, the Israelis might well consider that to launch an offensive during Biden's visit would not be the best thing to do. So it may be that that was another factor that played into the what, what seems to be a delay. The IDF will attack if they are going to attack on the ground. I would say if, because I don't think it's absolutely a foregone conclusion, but I think it's likely. But if they are going to go on the ground, they will go in at the time that's optimum for them. And bear in mind also that there's the issue of, of hostages. And I've no doubt enormous, I know that enormous efforts are being taken now and have been taken since they were captured to try and find out where the hostages are and try and work out what they can do about them. If there's any chance of rescuing any of the hostages before a ground offensive occurs, or even in conjunction with a ground offensive, then the IDF will want to, uh, to, to do that. How concerned is Israel and the wider world that fighting could open up on more than one front? I think it's very likely that we're going to see Israel facing a war on at least three fronts and possibly four fronts. And, and that is, of course, Gaza. Secondly, uh, Lebanon, where Hezbollah have a massive number of rockets pointed at Israel and have already started using them. Thirdly, Syria, where the, there are various Iranian proxies which are being pushed forward and uh, you know, in an attempt, I think, to maybe mount some form of attack from Syria, possibly even including the Syrian um, government authorities as well, who are under Iran's thumb to an extent. And then fourthly, in Judea and Samaria, otherwise known as the West Bank, where, the, where there's been extreme violence for a long period of time now, that could well trigger many more attacks on Israeli military and on Israeli civilians. So Israel might be fighting there as well, and possibly even inside Israel proper, where in the last conflict we saw an uprising among some uh, Arab Israeli uh, villages and towns against their neighbors. You know, what we should consider, I believe, is, is the extent to which this is an Iranian operational plan Iran controls Hezbollah in the north. Iran strongly controls Hamas and Islamic State, uh, Islamic Jihad, and they fund all three of those organizations. And Iran has significant influence in Syria that have attempt, been attempting for a long time to build a base of attack against Israel. And equally, in the West Bank in Judea and Samaria, Iran has been funding and arming terrorists there to attack Israelis. Once Israel commits ground forces into Gaza, if it does that, then Iran might well then launch attacks from the north uh, as well and uh, from Lebanon and potentially also from Syria. Colonel Richard Kemp there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hamas's October 7th massacre has set in motion a chain of events, militarily and politically, for which the endgame is unknown. As events play out on the battlefield, 
The personal tragedies continue. Those directly affected are trying to pick up the pieces of their lives. One person who had to do just that is British-Israeli rabbi Leo D. In April, his wife Lucy and daughters Maya and Rina were murdered by Hamas terrorists. I spoke to Rabbi D this week, who recapped on the events that shattered his world six months ago and his feelings on the more recent atrocities. So we were driving up in two groups. My wife was with uh, my daughters, Maya and Rina. I was with uh, Tully and Yehuda. And my uh, fifth child, uh, Karen, was uh, staying in, in Jerusalem for the weekend and going to join us later. Um, as we were driving up, uh, we got a message from my sister, who was in the third car, an hour behind us both. And um, she said there'd been a, a terror attack on the road. Were we okay? So I said, we were fine. And then I called Lucy immediately to find out how she was. I knew that she was we were neck and neck really on the journey, although she took a slightly different route at one point. Uh, and she didn't answer. So I called Maya and she didn't answer. I called Rena, she didn't answer. And then I looked on the Google family link and I saw they were exactly at the location where this attack had occurred. So of course I immediately turned around. Uh, I started driving back down the, the road to, to that location. Uh, at the same time, my son, who is 14, uh, has access to a website um, in Israel that gives the first information about any terror attack. And there was a photograph of a car, white car, with bullet holes in it. And on the back seat, you could clearly see the beach bag that they were taking up. And it was clearly our beach bag. So it was covered in blood. So clearly we were in shock, but we drove down there. Uh, they wouldn't let us get close to the scene because they told us, the psychologists, that it would be too traumatic. We sat there for probably what probably felt like an hour, might have been, I don't know, for half an hour. Um, and I was begging them to go to see, to be able to identify, to check that it was them because I couldn't believe it. And eventually they brought me the ID card of my daughter, Maya, and we knew that the worst had happened. They'd also told us that the, 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 the woman who was driving had been airlifted to um, Jerusalem, the hospital. So we immediately did a new turn uh, and drove straight down to uh, Jerusalem. Um, we sat by our bed for the next couple of days. Um, and sadly, Lucy uh, passed away as well. And so we ended up having uh, two uh, funerals, the first one for my two daughters and the second one for my wife a couple of days later. And um, that was uh, really, you know, that, that was uh, a, a terrible disaster for us and uh, tragedy. And, and the, the terrorists uh, apparently were uh, two Hamas terrorists funded by Iran um, who intercepted their car and shot them at close range with a Kalashnikov and 20 bullets. And my wife took one in her brainstem, one in her upper spine. And despite the operation, they weren't able to save her. I can't imagine how difficult the last few months have been. But I imagine that on October the 7th, your emotions went through the rigor. Tell us exactly how you heard the news of what happened and what you felt as the horrors unfolded. So, uh, David, you know, it took place on Shabbat, but it was also a Jewish festival, which is called Simchat uh, Torah. Um, and the strange thing about Simchat Torah is that what we do on Simchat Torah is we finish every week in, in synagogue, we read a little part of the five books of Moses. But on Simchat Torah, we finish the end of it, the last bit of Deuteronomy, and then we start again from the beginning of um, Genesis. And so I had been to the service. We literally just finished reading the first bit of Genesis about the creation. And then the siren went off uh, and men, women, and children and elderly were all, you know, running 
uh, to the uh, shelter, we get about a minute and a half uh, because of the distance we are from Gaza. Um, so uh, we all hid in the shelter. Then once it stopped, we heard some, you know, a number of bangs. We went outside. We saw uh, the missiles had been sent, uh, but thank God had been exploded by the uh, Iron Dome system. Um, and then we went back into synagogue. Um, and then uh, we came back. Uh, then we went home later when it finished. Uh, there were two more sirens. Uh, we have neighbors upstairs, so they basically joined us in our safe room because we share the same safe room. So we were uh, uh, four, four of us and a family of five uh, from upstairs who were uh, with small kids, all, all in one small room, my daughter's bedroom, which is the safe room. Um, and uh, that's how we spent uh, the rest of the day. Then, of course, we, we didn't have a huge amount of information available to us because being the Sabbath and a festival, we didn't have our telephones at the ready. Um, but what we did know was that our friends, you know, friends of our sons and, and friends would be called up and there were cars coming to pick them up to take them to the battlefronts. Um, so we had some information about that. Then there was some mention about, um, about hostages being taken, but the whole thing was so surreal. Um, it didn't make any sense to us whatsoever. We thought, you know, surely Israel has the safest border with uh, Gaza. We have security, we have soldiers, we have intelligence. It's impossible that this could be, you know, what, what could be going on. No idea. Um, and then, of course, we saw the news like everybody else once uh, the Sabbath went out um, and we were shocked um, and, you know, frightened, I think, really, that uh, such such thing had taken place, was continued to take place because there were still terrorists in Israel at that point and nobody knew where they were. So everybody locked themselves up in their homes. And uh, we waited for further information, which, of course, wasn't quickly forthcoming. So nobody really knew. It was complete confusion. When you heard about the level of brutality in this particular attack and how heinous these terrorists have been, how much has your faith been tested if it wasn't already tested? Um, so maybe because I'm a rabbi, maybe because I, I you know, been through this myself, I, I, I don't see it as a test of faith. Um, I, I, uh, Rabbi that I respected a lot in my youth um, was a Holocaust survivor, Rabbi Hugo Grin, and um, he was asked, you know, did, did the Holocaust? Uh, he was in Auschwitz, and did the Holocaust shake his faith in God? He said, No, it shook my faith in mankind. He said because the uh, evil was perpetrated by uh, a number of uh, PhD uh, uh, doctorates from Heidelberg University who attended the final solution discussions in Germany. And uh, he said, you know, God, I don't blame. He said, but mankind and you know, the sort of academic institutions which these people trained, I, I, I feel it's, yeah, blame, blame them. And I, I think the same thing here is that I, I don't lose faith in God in this situation. I perhaps uh, question the culture which these people come from, the religion that they, uh, per, you know, uh, claim to practice, uh, and the culture which they uh, bring up their children. Uh, and that and that's the big question, I think, for all of us to ask at this point. When your wife and and two of uh, two of your children were, were murdered, you you didn't call out for for vengeance. You were obviously aware that the IDF would have to investigate and respond. What's your feeling now in terms of how Israel? should be responding to this wave of horrific terror? 
though again i i look i i don't feel anger and it's not something which i i generally feel and i don't feel anger against any of these people at all but i i think that the, somebody put it very nicely when and very accurately when they said that if israel were to put down its weapons today we would be attacked from our neighbors and we'd be slaughtered in our beds as we have seen if the uh palestinians would put down their weapons today we would have peace and i think that is the reality unfortunately we are surrounded by uh really a, a, a a huge number of terrorists who want to see us dead. Uh, in the charter of the Gazan people, it's written uh, that they have the intention of killing every Jew, not just in Israel, but all over the world. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that is the situation we're in. Um, I think that uh, many people in Israel understood this the last 20 or 30 years. We knew that uh, the Palestinians, the Hamas and the Palestinian Authority have been training their children from the age of 10 in terror camps, uh, summer camps, where they, uh, you know, tra tra train them to be, uh, train them to be terrorists. We know that the um, textbooks that they learn from at school, which are paid for by the United Nations and uh, published by the Palestinian Authority, uh, contain uh, comprehension stories about previous terrorists asking them how they would, you know, what they would do if they came to uh, the beach in Tel Aviv with a gun, uh, and they have to write a little sort of creative story about that. Um, and we know that uh, there's been a massive program for what they call pay for slay, which means that um, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas pay terrorist families if they've been uh, uh, neutralized after an attack uh, to the tune of maybe a million dollars per family. So there's a huge in uh, incentive, financial incentive for these terrorists uh, to perpetrate atrocities. It's the biggest incentive scheme for terrorists in the world. And it's right on the doorstep. So how confident are you that further down the road that there is a chance for genuine peace? I'm certain that there's a chance for genuine peace, and it really depends on the complete disarmament of the Palestinian people, not just in Gaza, but also in the Palestinian Authority, um, and a new structure, which is probably not a two-state uh, solution, probably, as I say, more uh, fragmented, uh, but a state with an identity, with a flag, with its own culture, uh, but perhaps not the ability to wage war uh, on us in the way that it has been by being contiguous and therefore uh, for terrorists to, be able to hide behind human shields in quite the way that they've been able to up to now. And everybody in Israel knows people who have been either killed in, on the 7th of October or, or uh, who are fighting on the front. And um, this is a national level tragedy. I mean, it's, it's a holocaust. Uh, and... Uh, we, we, nobody in Israel expected that we would see in our lifetimes um, what our grandparents went through uh, 80 years ago. And yet we're sitting here, you know, we've been saying never again for 80 years, and it just happened. So I think the desire on the behalf of the Jewish people and the Israeli people to make sure this really never happens again is now absolute. And uh, I hope that uh, the Israeli army takes this to uh, completion and ensures that uh, we have an outcome where this could never happen again. Rabbi Leo D, whose wife and two of his children were murdered in April of this year. That brings an end to episode two of Israel's War on Terror. Please let us know in the comments if there are subjects you would like us to cover in the podcast or if you have any questions and we'll do our best to examine them in later episodes. Thanks for listening. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.